it's such a fine line between stupid and clever. It's the classic guitar rock podcast. We'd like to say that, in our opinion, it is not suitable for children or for those of you who may have a nervous disposition. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. start, I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other and all points in between, the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. And now, your hosts, Jeremy Lunnan and J.R. Stanton. We've got to protect our phony baloney job, gentlemen. We must do something about this immediately. It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Well, welcome to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Uh, I'm Jeremy, and I'm here with JR. And we're excited about tonight's episode because this is a band that I think JR was first to the party on this band. I'm guessing. We'll, we'll talk about that in the it, 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 when we get the background. We're going to be talking about Cheap Trick. But before we do that, JR, we have mm-hmm. some, some mail. And it's no, always love the mail. There's no, there's the no mail. hate mail this time, so that's good. Well, that'll be a first. Maybe that, you can write that one right, down. That's right. Mark the date. The first time without hate mail. Unsolicited uh, criticism that is you know, sometimes constructive and sometimes destructive. Exactly. Here's one that is a great topic. Here it says, uh, Jeremy. I'm a disc jockey in Louisiana, and I'll be taking the reins on a Saturday night 80s show in December. I have just recently discovered your podcast, and I'm really enjoying it so far and picking up little nuggets of knowledge here and there. Earlier this week, I finished episode two, The Family Tree. You did a phenomenal job covering all those branches. There was one particular artist you mentioned in passing, but you didn't expand any further, and that's Jack Blades from Night Ranger. As you know, he was in Damn Yankees with Tommy Shaw's Sticks, Terrible Ted Nugent of the Amboy Dukes, and Michael Cartoloni, who later joined Leonard Skinner. That six degrees of separation is like going down a rabbit hole, a very enjoyable one. You two keep up the great work. I'm having a ball listening. Mark Adams, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Mark, thank you so much. Yes. And JR, you're a Damn Yankees fan. Yeah, and, and uh, Jack Blades, of course, from Night Ranger. And, and of course, once you start talking about groups like Damn Yankees, then that just opens the whole can of worms because there's a lot of cross-pollinization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were pretty established and- pretty established when they came together. So Yeah, absolutely. A lot, of, a lot of history. And so what's cool, of- when you see uh, – I've watched uh, – I never saw them live – myself in person but i have gone back on youtube and watched concerts from their heyday and it's really cool because they're playing obviously the damn yankees catalog but they're also playing ted's stuff and tommy's stuff from sticks and jack's stuff from night ranger so you get it's like the best of four different bands when you go see them which is cool and i think i think that's what they intended when they put it together yeah i agree you know that, that you could you, a, a mix if you were to throw a member of the band one member in the blender <laughs> and turn, well maybe maybe not the best analogy but uh because if you threw a member in the band in the blender you might not get the sound you're looking yeah, for it'll be you get the idea you'll get a sound but it's not the one you're wanting probably <laughs> oh, yeah and oh here's one more uh, dear CGR, I've been enjoying the ongoing saga of Bob Daisley's Holy Grail with the Osbournes. You've talked about it on the last couple days of the uh, Daily Update. In your honest opinion, do you think we will ever hear the Holy Grail tapes? That's from John Saxon in Terre Haute, Indiana. So, JR, I don't know if you've heard the update, but are you familiar with Bob Daisley's Holy Grail? Have you heard about that? 
I haven't heard of it at all. Well, let me. Funny you should ask, Jr. So let's mm-hmm. talk about it. So Bob Daisley, for those of who haven't caught the uh, recent daily updates, Bob Daisley was the bass player for Ozzy Osbourne on the first two, the best two, in my opinion, Ozzy albums, right? Blizzard of Oz, Diary mm-hmm. of Madman. So Bob is a notorious documentarian. He records everything, right? So mm-hmm. he recorded everything. Now, I don't want to make this a – we could go way deep on this, but but bottom line is this. Bob Daisley has eight hours of recordings of he and Randy Rhodes and Ozzy working on new material. You know, basically, well – working on the material that became both Blizzard and Diary, the albums. And Bob has talked about this for years, and he calls it the Holy Grail. Because, and I think he's right, people would love to hear this, right? This is Mm -hmm. the late, great Randy Rhodes stuff people have never heard, hearing versions of songs as they're building them that would probably sound a lot different than what the final product wound up being. He's got this Holy Grail. and. People have called in or texted in or whatever the Osborne's podcast. Jack Osborne, Ozzy's son, has a podcast and he talks to Ozzy and Sharon, which is cool. But the downside is you, you only get the Osborne side of the story. And let's be honest, Sharon is what's the word I can use? Um, dominating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dominating, <laughs> domineering. She wants to, wants to control the look. Everything. The, the, yeah, the totally. The smell, the taste. Yeah, totally. Uh-huh. Totally. Remember, she's the lady that fired George Lynch because his hair was too short. So, yeah, you're exactly right. Right? So, it's all about image and how you control. I think that, that Sharon's probably the master of control when it comes to how, how both Ozzy <laughs> is perceived, every band is perceived, and, and, I would venture a guess that she had more control over the band than Ozzy himself. Uh, I completely agree. But but I've also said this. If not for Sharon, there would not have been an Ozzy solo career. I really believe that. She's the one. She was the business mind. She's the one that kicked him in the butt, made him straighten up. I'm So you got to give – on the one hand, you got to give her a lot of credit because I really think she's the reason there was an Ozzy – so I'm Sharon Arden before she was Sharon Osborne, the daughter of Don Arden, the manager of Black Sabbath and many other bands. She was basically given Ozzy Osborne as a project, right? You are in charge of Ozzy. Check don't on him. Screw this up. Don't and don't let him screw it up. And there's so much we could talk about. Bob Daisley has sued Sharon and Ozzy several times to get back payment on royalties and stuff. So he's not been treated well. Remember, this is the most despicable thing of all. Sharon didn't want to pay Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake, the bassist, the drummer on those two albums. She didn't want to pay him. She wanted and and so she had the <laughs> it's funny, but it's terrible. She had Bob's bass parts and Lee's drum parts re-recorded by different people back in around 2000, right? And released it, you know? And they even put, there's even a sticker that said featuring new bass parts and drum parts by whoever the studio guys were or the current Aussie members. People just pulled their hair out and pooped their pants because that was despicable. Imagine going back to all the classic Zeppelin albums say, you know what? Let's replace Jimmy Page. Let's put someone and else. Not only that, you know, we can put these stickers over his face. <laughs> yeah, as a new exactly. band member. <laughs> I, th- I mean, I think Sharon would go back that oh, that far. It's so terrible. you're you're when you're talking about these seven hours of unreleased tapes, right? Who has the, the is, is the argument over who has control of that domain? That's that's part of it. So here's the thing: Bob has physical possession of it. It was recorded. I don't know if you remember this, JR. I'm sure you do. Some of the early boom boxes, like late 70s, early 80s, there were some really good boom boxes that had like stereo microphones on them. 
that's what Bob used to record all of their rehearsals. So it's not obviously studio quality, but it's he he calls it it's good rehearsal room quality, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got this holy grail. People ask Jack on the podcast, hey, are you guys ever going to get the holy grail from Bob Daisley? Okay. Here's the response from Sharon. Sharon says, well, it's really not our part. That should really go to Randy's family. They should be the ones that get that, not us. And then Ozzy said, well, and the quality of them is terrible. The quality is terrible. It's not good. So they kind of dissed it for two reasons. They said, first of all, the family should have it. Second of all, it's terrible quality. Well, here's the problem. They tried to buy this from Bob already in 2011 mm-hmm. when they made the box set with, uh, you know, the, the 40th anniversary of Diary and Blizzard. They were putting together this big box set. And they tried to buy it. They knew Bob had it. They heard it. Bob played it for him. He said, I wouldn't give him a copy of it. But they came in a room and listened to it. And I played parts of it. He's posted snippets on his website, 30 seconds at a time of things. They Mm -hmm. wanted to buy it. That's what's disingenuous is they make it sound like they didn't want it. The problem is they just wanted to give him a pittance. You give us the tape. Now we own it. And he wasn't going to do that. He says, because they would have taken it. They would have edited it to make it sound like it was all Randy, you know, that, that Bob had nothing. You know, he just he doesn't trust him, basically. Well, they would probably cut him out. Uh, I would uh, I mean, history would tell that that was Sharon's original intent. So totally. why would that not carry through? And apparently he was recording everything. Everything. Um, so. Yeah. My thought is, I mean, we kind of got spoiled nowadays. We expect to hear some of that from our from the modern music, but but uh, I would I'm with you if Brandy Rhodes, uh, if there was a chance to flip a page back, I would. I, I don't care if it's recorded on you know a handheld eight pm cassette player. Mm-hmm. I would want to hear how Randy put things together, getting in, uh, because he was so accomplished because he had already done a lot of things prior to even getting you know in with Ozzy. I would like to see how Randy's approach, because he wasn't like, I don't think he was all on board with Sharon himself, right? No, no. So, uh, if we're, if we were saying leave it to Randy's, the Rhodes camp, as, as Sharon puts it, uh, then I, I'm thinking they would say yes, because Randy was a true individual. He didn't always go along with, with what was, you know, the most commercially successful, that sort of thing. I think he, like you mentioned, he, he wasn't big in playing about Black Sabbath tunes. He wanted he wanted innovative things that he brought. Such he brought a I think he brought a, a separate force and would have had he survived. Had exactly. The, had the, he, I don't know that he wouldn't have had um, you know a, a, such a successful independent component of his career because. But that that's the piece that makes it intriguing. Had it not been Randy Rhodes, maybe there's you know maybe I I, I think releasing. Tapes of the uh, or or uh, practice sessions or creative writing sessions from from a band where that noted there's not a noted individual like Randy Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could see the argument, right? But when you when you have somebody, I re- I only think that oh, I think Sharon was jealous of Randy because there was you know I, we just started this by saying she's in, she liked to be in control, yeah, uh, and I don't think Randy was was. You know, I don't think he could have stayed and in in, in remained under the thumb. Well, and that's a whole. That, that I think you're exactly right. In fact, the 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 word is that that Randy would have been gone after the Diary tour. He had told Ozzy. In fact, and and this has been cited. Okay, this has been that Ozzy punched Randy when Randy told him he wanted to leave. You know that he had plans to move on. Uh, so, so yeah, there's a whole thing. And, and even this is the last thing I want to say, cause I, we want to talk about cheap trick, right? But, <laughs> but I get fired up when I think about this, the way that Blizzard and Diary was recorded was very interesting. They were really only recorded like not even a full year apart. So they record Blizzard in, in England. It's released like in September of 
80 in England and not till like the beginning of 81 in the US. So right after it's released in England, they do a British tour. So this is Ozzy, Randy, Bob Daisley, Lee Kerslake, the original Blizzard of Oz. They do a tour. Then uh, they go right into the studio and they record Diary after that Blizzard tour. In the meantime, they're just they're just releasing Blizzard of Oz in the States. They basically had Diary in the can before they ever even did a tour for Blizzard in the U.S. But Sharon didn't like Bob and Lee because they were seasoned veterans. She couldn't control them. So they make up this story about they can't get passports for Bob and Lee. So they need new bass player and a new drummer. So they get Tommy Aldridge and Rudy Sarzo, whom I love. They're both awesome. Mm -hmm. Nothing against them. They bring in them, bring them in. They do a blizzard tour in the U.S. with Tommy and Rudy. And then in November of 81, they release Diary and then they tour Diary with Tommy and Rudy, but Tommy and Rudy never played on Blizzard or Diary. It's Lee and Bob on both of those albums. But but there again, that's more of Sharon trying to erase the history of Bob and Lee Kersley. So it's a mess. And he asked uh, my opinion, Do I, will we ever hear this? I don't know, JR. I, I hope we do. I hope we I do. I would want to hear it. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, any, 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 anyone who picks up a guitar and plays it would like to be uh, at least privy to some of those tidbits. It's those history. In, yeah, in, totally. yeah, history. The, yeah. the, the, even if it's not good sound quality, I'm not listening for sound quality. I'm thinking, right. you know, it's Randy Rose. And that was a glimpse of, uh, of somebody who passed at a young age. So, totally. uh, from, from my standpoint, I, I don't understand though. Is, is there really a way that they can keep Bob from, that's exactly what I've asked. That's exactly what I've asked. How how can they keep him from, especially if these songs, Bob is credited as a songwriter. I don't understand. I don't understand. There must be some reason Bob can't release it, and that will remain to be seen. But but you know the technology exists now, Jr. They could clean mm-hmm. that up, and uh, sound quality. They could make sound pretty good. I'm guessing. You know, yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, again, obviously, we're on the cusp yeah. of AI, and there's enough digital ways to 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 fill in mm-hmm. and supplement voice, and even have you know people saying things in a believable way that they never said. Yeah. Um, which <laughs> hey. uh, you know, so and I want to I want to make point of that later, but it, no, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but I don't know that I want that. I I, yeah. I would say I'd I'd want to hear it the way Randy the way it was was yeah, yeah way it was. Uh, I'm interested. We're, we're dodging John's question if we think it will ever be released. I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope so. I'm going to be an optimist and say it will. Uh, I, I think it will be released because where there's a demand, yeah. I think that you know people tend to give towards that, especially right. with somebody as iconic as Randy Rose. For sure. For sure. And, okay, I said I wasn't going to say anymore. One last thing. This is a what if, right? If Randy had never died, and he had just left the band, they'd be treating Randy as crappy as they've treated Bob Daisley and Jakey e. Lee and Lee Kerslake and everyone else. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that's the way it would have gone down. I, I'm sure of that. Yeah. I, I don't think, you know, when we, when Ozzy came, you know, when we got a reality Ozzy, it became obvious that, that there was nothing off limits. Yeah, <laughs> if, it, if it, you know, if it, if it bleeds, it leads. If yeah. it sells, it's you know, totally. and that's. Uh, but you, you could call it genius. I mean, well, uh, so, yeah. I mean, but, but I also, but it's also very, you know, I think tra- tragic in some ways. Yeah, Sharon, how much, how much of that would you want to sell? Sharon is a, she's a shrewd business person. I mean, she's kept the Aussie company afloat for years and years and years, and they've been very successful. So you can't falter for that. But nope. Yeah, there's some some aspects of it that are kind of not so great. So anyways, JR, when we come back, thank you for the emails, by the way, John and Mark, thank you so much for your emails. If you would like to email us, it's classic guitar rock at mail.com. We'd love to read them on the air and, and respond to them. Let us hear from you. When we come back, 
JR and I are going to dig into, in my opinion, one of the great American rock bands, Cheap Trick. That's coming up next on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Hey, this is Jeremy London, host of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. If you're a business owner trying to market your products or services to a growing audience, let me invite you to consider advertising here on our podcast. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is currently rated in the top 2.5% globally, according to ListenNotes.com. And our prime demographic is males aged 35 to 59. Here's one of the great things about advertising with us. An ad you run with us today will still be getting played five or ten years from now. Because our episodes never expire, neither will the ads you run with us. Think about that. As our audience continues to grow, you are locked in with an ad you place now at a very low rate. It really is a phenomenal investment. If you think our demo is a great fit for your offering, it really is a no-brainer. We can do anything from a simple host-read ad to a fully produced commercial. Either way, you will be shocked at how economical it is to advertise on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. If you're interested, please email me, Jeremy, at ClassicGuitarRock at Mail.com. But hurry, because availability is limited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast goes to 11. It's one louder, isn't it? The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. I'm Jeremy, here with my friend JR. I, I won't say that JR introduced me to Cheap Trick, because I was aware of Cheap Trick, but, but JR was a, a bigger fan of Cheap Trick than I was back in the day, in our high school years together. I'd worn out a couple of cheap trick cassettes prior to the to our meeting yeah uh I, I you know and again who who couldn't like rick nielsen yeah you know i think stage presence for rick kind of draws anyone in uh he, just the way he dressed he wasn't he, he wasn't afraid about how he looked or, or what image he was trying to but he <laughs> definitely uh was appealing to um a young guy like me i, yeah. I like the fact that he was you know he, he didn't care he was a nerd. He yeah. Yep, he's a nerd. He was care. a nerd. Yeah. And he owned it. Owned yeah. It. You know, it's funny. And, and I have some theories about this. We'll get into this, but one of my first big rock concerts I ever went to. In fact, it was the same summer I saw Ozzy Osbourne. It was the summer of 1982 in Spokane, Washington. I saw cheap trick. They were opening. Who was it? Oh, it was, it was. Saxon opening for Cheap Trick, I think is the show. And I knew Cheap Trick from, uh, I want you to want me. You know, that was, that was my exposure to them. And that's about all I knew about them. So a, a couple things struck me is number one, they were the loudest band I'd ever heard. They were super loud. Rick Nielsen was hilarious. You know, he's kind of the showman of the band. Well, to make a long story short, because of their active tour schedule, they were always touring. I and, then, and I then, they weren't, yeah, they were always touring or always in front of the camera too. Exactly. They were getting a lot of airplay. They were getting a lot of airplay. That was, uh, the one on one album was at what they were promoting. So if you want my love, you got it. You know, she's tight, you know, so there were some songs on that album. But then it was only like a year or two later, and you might have been at this show. Remember, it was uh, Cheap Trick and Molly Hatchet, 
right? Mm-hmm. Weren't they at yeah. the Great Plains at Coliseum Great Plains in Lawton, Coliseum. Oklahoma? Yeah, it's like my mm-hmm. sophomore yeah. year or something. Yeah, and I walked away from a, with a pick from, there you, from that. Rick Nielsen, yeah. Rick yeah. Nielsen's pick. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, uh, again, general admission, I like you know, I like general admission because it, it invites the high schooler yep. to be able to, to get right up in front of the rock god. Uh, I remember uh, Robin Zander was closer to me than anyone else, but uh, I kept you know wanting to, to, to catch a pick from Rick Nielsen. It was like, ah, you got to get in the right position. Yeah. Is he going to throw another pick? <laughs> well, Rick knew what he was doing. He had you know bagfuls, yes, yeah, yeah. bagfuls. So I, you know, but I all I needed was one. Yeah, uh, but but I'm going to tell you the appeal of cheap trick has survived. Uh, yeah, not only not only from my time frame and, and what I remember, but my daughter asked for that that particular That's guitar awesome. pick, and I, I get and, and I gave it to her. I I have a Rick Nielsen pick too, uh, somewhere, and you know where I got mine was a year or two later. They came back to the Great Plains Coliseum. Mama's Boys opened for them. Were you at that mm. show? Were you at that I one? Think I, I don't. I don't remember Mama's Boys. Yeah, I've seen so them. I've seen Cheap Trick at least three times. Yeah, so. so I and and that's another point I want to make. Okay, Cheap Trick has never stopped touring. Touring. Yeah, they've never stopped making albums. Okay, there. There's never been more than about a two year stretch where they weren't making albums. And they are always touring. They are, they are, this is a cliche, but I believe it. They are the hardest working band in show business. They've never stopped. I, I appreciated it. I, I went and saw them, but I wouldn't say I really became a big fan until even after all of that, right? I've seen them more than any other band, JR. I've seen them a total, I think, 11 times. And, That's, oh. and, and that yeah, is maybe. nine of those times have been in little Spokane, Washington. So I saw them once in 82, and then I saw them twice in Lawton, Oklahoma. Then the rest of the time, I haven't had to go anywhere. They just come through town. That's that how busy they about, are. Totally. That says something about their commitment to the, to, yep. to the craft. And and are they touring still? I believe, <clears throat> yes. I right? There, there's a they dates for Australia are, all yeah, next, yeah. Next, uh, next year. Yep. Uh, there's only one stateside to, uh, date in florida but but man i just was thinking man i would like to see him again i said yeah. you know when we when we when you hit me with this hey let's talk about cheap trick i mean maybe i should try to catch him because I, my brother uh just got got done with a, a peter frampton concert and so you know this this is something where the same time frame that i was you know cutting albums open for cheap trick i was certainly getting in with with uh, Frampton's double, you know, album live. And so there's a chance to go see them. You need to see them. They'll probably be coming in through one of the casinos close by to mm-hmm. you, JR, in the next, yeah, in the so. next year, in the next year. So if you get a chance to see me, you for sure want to do that. And here's what I always say to people, JR, if you're only basing cheap trick on their hits and they had some great hits, don't get me wrong. You're missing so much. Some of my favorite songs are hits. Surrender, great tune, right? Love that mm-hmm. song. Dream Police, love that song. The Flame. The, I like, the Flame uh, was a number yeah. one, I think was their only number one song. And, yep. and the band hated it because yeah. the record company made them use an outside writer. But it worked, right? It was a, mm-hmm. it was a smash hit. Everyone loved it. And it kind of gave them a new lease on life. But the thing about Cheap Trick is, is is they've never stopped. They've never stopped. They continue to put out albums. And here's what's funny. They're good albums. Even though no one knows about them, they don't sell very many. They have a rabid fan base that follows them around. Here's my here's my theory. Sorry, I'm not even letting JR talk, but I'm fired no, up about this. Here's my theory. Tom Petty fell into this category too. Tom Petty, I think we could all say probably more known than cheap trick right but mm, i agree here's what petty had going for him here's what cheap trick had going for them tom petty had a very long successful career but he was never the top dog right he was never at the tippity top cheap trick has had not quite as big as commercially successful career but they've always been on the radar 
but never to the point that people get sick or burned out about them. That's my theory. People know who they are. People hear, I want you to want me. They hear the flame. You know, that's two songs that anyone who's been alive the last 50 years know those two songs. They at least know who they are. And I and throw in Dream Police too. Dream Police. You know, that was, yeah. yeah, that was a, that was a, uh, for me, that was an, uh, I was singing that in 1979. Yeah. Uh, but, but what, 20 million, 20 million albums they've, they've sold? They've sold a so, lot of so, albums. So here's the thing. I think that the longevity of touring, what was it? You toured to sell albums, right? Yeah. Every, yeah. There was a time when if you wanted uh, exposure, you you created the album and then what? You went out on tour. Why? So you could promote the album. That idea and that concept is, I, I will venture to say, is not present in today's music. But uh, Cheap Trick was uh, masters at the touring component. I don't know that they're their album sales or their success commercially was was on the tier of some of the other bands that, that were popular at that period. But the staying power was there. Totally. And the reason the staying power was there is because they were always they were always somewhere in front of the of a, a camera. I remember even on MTV it was a some some kind of summer bash. Mm-hmm. Who's at the summer bash? It's Cheap Trick. And I think that they liked the West Coast because you know you had sunshine pretty much year round, but. They seem to pop up and again and again and again, and I don't think those were hit songs that they were singing, but people were getting reintroduced into Cheap Trick on a regular basis. And uh, I want to say that this is the Cheap Trick. Uh, oh, there it is. There it is. What's on the other I, side? Does it have anything on the other side? It, no, it's just blank. Okay. Like, and this one's been played, so there's it's just barely. There you go. But if you were looking, if you're not. Uh, able to see this is just basically says cheap trick, cheap trick, but this is authentic. This is the That's one the I real caught. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, it was just delivered to me off, off camera by my daughter. Nice. But she, she also wants it back. Mine. <laughs> now mine is white and I got two of them. I got two of them. I've got one that's white that says cheap trick on one side. Then on the other side, it's got a caricature of Rick Nielsen drawn on it, like a cartoon. Ah, that's, caricature. That's, that would be a, a lovely one. Now, and perhaps I could steal that. Sometime. Maybe. And then my other one, I think, just has cheap trick with like a checkerboard thing going on. Mm-hmm. But I got I got two of those. But I agree. I think I think they they built their reputation on their live show. I really mm-hmm. think that's um, well. Think about what, what what I said. Their best album was, and I'm, I love cheap trick. And what did I tell you was my favorite album? You said when we were going through the top ten. Yeah, Budokan. The Budokan yeah. album. Yeah, and who did I mention just just a second ago? My brother went to see Frampton. what was his bestseller. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Album. Yeah, unable to find success. Yeah. They'd be from the studio, but if you threw him out on live on the stage, there was something that you, that he probably brought to that that you couldn't capture or, or eluded him on maybe a studio album. Yeah. But uh, I've always thought Cheap Trick was great live, and and that's that for me. That's the 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 telltale sign of a, of a uh, great band. It's not. Not just what kind of music you put out, but do I want to go see you? Right. And obviously, you know, you said 11 times you've seen Cheap 11 Trick. 11 times. Yeah. I, I was proud of my three. Yeah. And I, I don't know. You've got me beat. Well, and you know, it's it's because they never stopped touring. So I don't have to go mm-hmm. anywhere. I don't have to drive four hours. I know every year or two, Cheap Trick is going to roll through Spokane. It might be at the state fair or the or the county fair. It might be at the pig out in the park, which is a little thing they do every year downtown, or they'll mm-hmm. play at one of the small theaters. And that's one of the cool things. They're not an arena draw anymore, right? But that means you can mm-hmm. see them in a smaller venue and, and it's a great show. I mean, it, they're just a phenomenal band. The, the lineup has changed. Bunny Carlos about for about the last 10 years, 15 years. It's an interesting 2010, thing. 2010. Okay, there's a legal thing going on here. You hate it when your bands start suing each other, right? But there's some of that. <laughs> you know, going something on. something might give you the hint that this, you know, that we're in the waning days uh, when when the favorite band makes the headline not for music, but for suing but each for, other. Yeah, for, for suing so, each other. So the way and it, it works. Yeah. So Bunny Carlos had back problems or whatever. He did. He basically didn't want to tour anymore. 
but he still owns a stake in the band. So he still makes a percentage. I don't know how all that works. In the meantime, Rick's son, Dax, is their drummer and has been their touring drummer for a, for a long time. So let me tell you one funny story. This is August, right before 9-11, August of 2001. They were playing here in Spokane, a place called Playfair. Playfair used to be a racetrack, a horse racing, horse race track. And it hasn't been a horse track for 30 years, but they would still occasionally do concerts or things there. So there's a show with Georgia Satellites opening and Cheap Trick. And then there's another I didn't realize it till I got there. The first band that played was actually the band of Rick Nielsen's sons. He's got two sons that were in this band. Dax is the drummer. His older son, I can't remember his name, is the singer. And they were actually a really good band. So they played. Georgia Satellites played. Cheap Trick plays. Again, August 2001. So 22 years ago. They come out. They start with, I can't remember, you know, Robin Zander sings the first song. He completely loses his voice. I mean, like he can't talk. And Rick says, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have my son come up. Oh, and and Dax was already playing drums because Bunny Carlos was having back trouble way back then. So Dax plays with the opening band, then comes up and plays with Cheap Trick as the drummer. Well, then Robin loses his voice. He stays on stage because he's playing guitar and he's kind of singing background vocals when he can. The first thing they do is there's like three songs that Tom Peterson sings. So they have Tom sing some songs. And then Rick's son comes on. Good thing he knows all the words, but he did, and he did great. It was kind of disappointing that Robin wasn't singing, but it was like a once in a lifetime thing that you see cheap trick. Robin's on the stage the whole time, but he's not singing. It was just kind of funny. But I, I, one of my great, pretty unique. Yeah, but uh, it sounds like a nice recovery. Yeah, you know they didn't close the show. They, which they, kind of, they played the whole show. They played the whole show, yeah. and Rick's son did a great job. And I think Robin sang a total of like two songs, and then the rest of the time Tom Peterson did a few songs, and then it was Rick's son the whole time. But it was a very loose. Okay, what do you want to do? Because they kind of threw the set list out and they were just doing, you know, whatever. What are you asking him what he knew? What do you know? Yeah, yeah, probably knew most (laughs) of it, but it was cool. But it was cool. And if you have, you said it earlier, if you haven't seen Cheap Trick, you need to see him. So let me, I'm going to put JR on the spot. So JR, you mentioned Budokan. Are there any, like, what are your favorite songs? Think of Cheap Trick. You know, you you remember a a, a heavy metal? Uh, the movie, the movie Heavy Metal. Yes, I do. The sound, soundtrack. Yep. Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick had a had a uh, song on I'm, that. Let me I'll, before you tell me. Cheap Trick has been on more soundtracks than probably any band. They were on Top Gun. They did the theme song for Transformers. Transformers. I mean, Up the Creek. I mean, they have been on so many movie soundtracks. What was the one on the Heavy Metal soundtrack? JR's looking working it up. In a, I'm, I'm looking it up. Yeah. Was it working in the coal mine? Is I, that I, one? I don't think that was them. I think they, think they so. did. Uh, they're on it. I just, if you hadn't asked, I, I, I could tell you. But they did Mighty Wings on, uh, that was Top Gun. I'm going to look it up because I, I okay. love that song. No, that's great. But the Cheap I, Trick I, or, the, or the, the Heavy Metal soundtrack is a really quirky album, right? It's it's. Did you see the movie when it oh, came yeah. out? yeah. I might have seen it with you, actually, at a midnight movie <laughs> one time. Probably did. Yeah. But yeah, Cheap Trick is is in dozens of movies. And here's what's funny about Cheap Trick. They don't take themselves too seriously. And they got some songs that are crap. They've got some crap songs, right? Uh, Rick Nelson even said uh, that that song was crappy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, one they, of the worst songs. They, they, I can't believe I wrote that song. Yeah. And, and uh, you're going like, well, he... At least he, you know, in, in hindsight, it. he looks back. Yeah. He's he, he never polishes it up. It's yeah, yeah. that was crappy. <laughs> but they they're on several soundtracks, and there's some. I'm gonna while you're looking that up. Here's some reach out, out. reach one, out, reach out, reach out. Okay, that's from the heavy metal soundtrack. That's yes, the one. Okay, reach out. 
but they were doing everything. And then uh, I must be dreaming. That's the one. I okay. was the other one I was thinking of. Uh, I must be dreaming. That's and that was the one that I liked off of it. They have such a deep catalog, Jr. That when you go see them, they do this every time I've seen them. They'll play some song that you even forgot about. You're like, holy mm-hmm. crap! I f- even forgot about that song. Remember, it's about the time we were graduating from high school. That uh, stand is the album was standing on the edge, which isn't considered one of their best albums, but it's the one, the Tonight It's You song. Mm-hmm. And that's a good song. A place in your heart. Yeah, no, it was great stuff, and and they've just got this body of work that's that's incredible, and you still, you know, you never know what you're going to hear at a show because they got so many things to draw from. But what one thing I wanted to make sure, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of going all over. I just get excited talking about Cheap Trick. Well, Cheap um, Trick is all over. They are all over. And th- the one thing I wanted to say is there's a couple albums that unless you're a diehard fan, you won't even be aware of, which is a shame because I'm going to name two albums that 90% of the people listening have never heard of, but they are in my top five Cheap Trick album list. The one is, they simply call it Cheap Trick 97. There's no name to this album is just called Cheap Trick. It came out in 97. That's why they call it Cheap Trick 97. That song did absolutely nothing. There was a video that was played on VH1, which was great, but that entire album is phenomenal. I bought it for a dollar at Hastings in the clearance section. No appreciation, no love for it. Uh, And then another album that came out in probably about 2003, 2004. JR, you can look this up. It's called Rockford, 2003, maybe 2004. Again, not a blurb about it anywhere. Every single song on that Rockford album, to me, sounds like a hit. Every 2006? S- oh, I didn't realize it was that late. I thought it was earlier. Mm-hmm. Rockford. You can stream it. Anyone within the sound of my voice, listen to the Cheap Trick Rockford album. JR, that's your assignment. Listen to Rockford by Cheap Trick. It's a great album all the way through. Every single song. Special one, I think, is the one that came out in 2002 or 2003. It's not a bad album either, but to me, Cheap Trick 97 and Rockford are two albums that... Welcome to the world. Perfect Stranger. Perfect Stranger. Just a if great If it takes tune. a lifetime. Every come single on, track. On, come on. Yes. This time... You got it. Give Dude. it away. And you know what's funny about this is, you know, song length is two minutes, 40 oh, yeah, seconds. Yeah. They just, they just, <laughs> they just blast you- them out. Blast them out. Mm-hmm. Here's one of the coolest things about Cheap Trick. Check this out on YouTube. Cheap Trick had a residency in Las Vegas where they performed Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in its entirety with mm. a few special guests. But they make no, Bones about the fact they are huge Beatles fans. Mm -hmm. And here's something that people don't know. Guess who plays, who played with John Lennon? Rick Nielsen and Bunny Carlos both played on John Lennon's album. Uh, Now that's something I did not know. Yep. Yeah. So, so he was familiar with Cheap Trick. And in an interview, probably around 78, 79, he said something to this effect. He was asked, he was asked, what kind of stuff would you guys be doing if you were, if you got back together? And he said, we'd probably sound like cheap trick. I mean, that's what John Lennon said, right? It's kind of a joke, but cheap trick, obviously very influenced by the Beatles. Anyone playing in the seventies that came of age, they were influenced by the Beatles, ELO, cheap trick, whatever. Yeah, they're just well. That's a story I didn't have anything. Yeah, I had no, no. Idea no. About and, John Lennon. and so there's a there was respect from John Lennon to Cheap Trick. He he appreciated what they did. And to your point, Jr., they were not like the progressive bands at the time that were playing these long, drawn out songs. Cheap Trick was a rock band, right? They mm-hmm. were a rock band, and I think when people see them live, they're like, "Wow, this is the band that did the Flame." These guys rock. You know, they're loud. Uh, Surrender and some of the oh, other songs just, that came out. I uh, y- y- uh, I still like uh, Dream Police and, 
and the fact that these can all span, uh, I think there is kind of a tangent to, to the Beatles in some oh. way that the, certainly when they splashed onto the scene in, in Japan, wasn't that the comparison? It's a, they, they equated it to Beatlemania. Absolutely. And then you, make the, you make the link uh, that, that Lennon, you know, there, there's a, a link back to John Lennon yeah. I didn't, that I wasn't aware of. But, um, yeah, it kind of makes sense because they did have a bigger splash there than it sent. Obviously, that, that was where the they recorded live at Budokan mm-hmm. or live Budokan. So captured uh, a lot of a lot of steam in at that point, and I think they powered from that forward. Uh, and that's probably the key, what kicked off the the touring piece or the energy to tour, and then and actually have people show up uh, at the concerts and and, and uh, wanting to hear and wanting to see and be part of that that band's presence in the in a live format rather than just listening. And I would say that they actually sound better live to me. They're they're one of those bands that that are better live. I completely agree. And so, just the 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 history of it kind of their first album came out in seventy seven, and it didn't really make any waves. However, there's some great songs on the debut album. Mm. Their second album comes out, mm. but it still wasn't really doing anything. But for whatever reason, to your point, Jr. They were popular in Japan. So that's why they go and do the tour. They had recorded Dream Police. They had had a modicum of success, but not much. Well, then all of a sudden, someone starts playing the live version of I Want You to Want Me. That broke, and that was a massive hit in the U.S. So the record company says, wait, hold off on Dream Police. Don't release it yet. They rush out this Budokan live album first. And that was a hugely successful album. And then after that kind of died, then they, they come out with Dream Police. But Budokan made them. That's what broke them. Mm-hmm. That's what broke them. So I wonder when they compile something and they say, you know, Cheat Trick sold a total of, you know, or over 20 million albums. I wonder how many times it was the same album. I mean, <laughs> how, do they, how do they calculate well, that? Well, you know. I, I'm responsible for, the, for, for a, you know, repurchasing you know, Budokan yeah. at least four or five times do, on format. Do you see right there what their most, which album sold the most? I would imagine Budokan might be it. I think it is. Yeah. And I, but, uh, you know, I was looking to see if there was, the flame was a good single for them. Uh, it, it didn't have the same success as I want you to want me. Mm-hmm. I sold the most as a single. Really? Um, but wasn't the flame, yeah. wasn't the flame a number one single? Did I get that wrong? I yeah, yeah. No, you, no, no, no. Okay. You got it right. But the thing of it is, they when you look it up to ask for sales, uh, it didn't is for sales overall sales. Okay, and that's what I was trying to determine. How they? That's where the question came up. I wonder how they come up with that because if you look at the best selling cheap trick, you know, in terms of single, it's I I want you to want that's, me the first single from from the live version uh, released on Infolor rose to number seven, but. Was here's what they say: Cheap Trick's best-selling single to date. Was and I was thinking it was "I Want You to Want Me." So yeah. I'm thinking, hold it. But we know the flame was the highest charting. So I'm not charting. sure. Just Interesting. Charting. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fascinating. And here's something else that's fascinating. Okay, so if I was going to make my, if I had to pick a favorite Cheap Trick album, it would probably be. Oh, I missed this album when I gave my little history. I was wrong. The first album was the Cheap. first one, Cheap Trick. And then there was In Color. That was actually their second album. And then mm-hmm. Heaven Tonight. And then Dream Police was their fourth album. So In Color, probably my favorite album. You know the crappiest song on that album? The Tell s- me. It's the studio version of I Want You to Want Me. It sucks. Yeah. It's terrible. Hey, we. We've had this conversation. Yes, we have. I, I, yeah. I, you know, the same song that, that, that hooks you on the live. And, yeah. and, and I, so when I say they sound better live, maybe that's the, the nuance of, of recall that I have. Is, <laughs> and, and, and maybe this is the epiphany right now is, oh, maybe that's why. Yeah. But I don't know about crappiest because I, you know, Rick Nielsen can call his, his song you know, crappy <laughs> or whatever. But uh, you're he, not going to do that. You no. Know, yeah. But yeah, that's a great album. So if I was if I was going to tell someone, Jr., you you got to start with the Cheap Trick album. I would probably say In Color, right? That's the one I'd say. 
But then after that, man, you know, I like the first album. I love Rockford. That might be my third favorite Cheap Trick album, and no one knows man, about it. I need you know, to listen to that. You should I'm, listen I'm to gonna it. I'm going to be honest with you. I have not yeah. heard Rockford. It's, it, here's what Rick Nielsen and Robin Zander are masters of, right? It's writing a hook. It's a catchy melody. You got a catchy sing-along chorus. The guitars are just crunchy enough. You're not going to hear crazy guitar solos. That's not what he does, right? He plays exactly what's right for the song. Really more of a rhythm guitarist in the vein of a, you know, Malcolm Young or Pete Townsend. I mean, he'll get up and do his silly little things, but that's almost like a parody of guitar heroes in my mind. He's really a songwriter and he's a rhythm guitarist and they just write great tunes. And Robin Zander can still sing. I mean, he's mm-hmm. like Sammy Hagel. He's still 90% of what he was at the top. And I think Sammy's the same way. They can both, they're mm-hmm. not, they're not a hundred percent. They can't sing everything they could when they were 25, but mm-hmm. for, for guys in their seventies, unbelievable. Yeah. I agree. Uh, yeah. I like, uh, I like Sammy a lot. You know that, yeah. um, but uh, I think if I was destined to, to only hear one band or see one band in concert, though, I, I really think it's it's Cheap Trick. And I've seen you know various bands, mm-hmm. but across the trapping of time, uh, again, for me, honestly, some of those live concerts with Warren D. Martini and uh, and Rat and, and Stephen Piercy and Robin King Crosby, those were iconic for the time. And I'm not sure that. As much as I love that that sound and that set and the way they played, I'm not sure if I was you know locked in for the next you know half century uh, to listening to one band. I, I'm not sure that I wouldn't vote Cheap Trick in on a, over all of that because they do have such a high catalog. Uh, they they they're appealing on a, from a, an entertainment standpoint, not just the song that's being played, but the, the intensity with which they play it. And so, from the standpoint of why do you why do you can stay on tour? Why do you stay on tour as a band this long? It's because you're good at something. Yeah. And it's probably the the live versions of, of getting up on stage. And I don't know that that always translates to, to the record or to the recording. Not not to the same degree of success. Because as much as I love Cheap Trick, I we talk about where do they fit in, in the overall scheme. I think longevity and staying power is the statement of if you, if you are. And you've, and you've mentioned this, Jeremy. If you talk about greatest bands, what does a band do? Mm. You know, yeah. and, and, and how do you equate that? Well, we could easily argue that the Beatles were a better band in some ways, mm-hmm. a bigger band. But then how long did we actually have the Beatles? Yeah, like six years. Yeah, seven years. And then, you know, yeah. and if we, so if we talk about what does a band do, and I know you, you, you've touched on this, well, they play live gigs. Yep. And uh, who's done it better than Cheap Trick? Totally. Totally. And, and you have to ask the question, JR, is the reason they still play because they never got to the pinnacle? Had they gotten to the pinnacle and were as big as a Van Halen or a Def Leppard, do you think they'd still be playing small towns in Oklahoma and Eastern Washington like they do? Or would they have, and, and I think they would have, because I think to your I point, think, that's what they are. They're a band. I think that's who they are. They play I, music. I mean, what, what the only thing that I, I would end with on on that state on that sentiment was to say that you know success almost always breeds failure um, because the higher degree of success then we take ownership and who who is the more successful whose creativity brought that and then we always hear about creative differences maybe if you're not the victim of your own success you you, you can can be a, a cheap trick yeah uh, and 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 uh, you know even even with What's happened with Bunny Carlos? I, I, you know, it's it's a shame. Who knows? Does he go out on a shield playing, or does yeah. he go out on a lawsuit? I, you know, I yeah. don't know. But, <laughs> but you know, I don't know that that, uh, that they actually have the staying power physically sometimes to keep up. And so uh, maybe it's the nat- natural evolution that, that at some point. Even you, you know your most beloved bands tend to have to spiral out. And yeah. uh, what I do love is that you like what you said about uh, Robin Zander still having a voice. And if he didn't, what he's got? They, it's, it's about the show. So yeah. who gets on stage? It's more about the show than Rick it is Neal, the performer. Totally, totally. So 
So that's so if it's about the show more than the individual, then it's that entertainment value. When it's only the individual and the individual leaves, then what do you have? I mean, maybe you have something where like Creed or when it's not Creed, when Scott's gone, Mm -hmm. Scott's dad's gone. So I kind of like the fact that you, you can't hang the laurel of success on anyone's head in that solely. And yeah. They're still able to, to present uh, a good stage act and sell tickets. Yeah. And if they come to town at, at, at uh, the local casino here, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be there, man. That's what I'll, I will not miss. Yeah. And, and I, I think you said it really well. They have never lost that zeal for playing. They're at their heart. They're, they're a rock band. That's what they do. And. It says something. You said this at the beginning. It says something about them that, that middle America can still see cheap. They're going to roll through your town every couple of years. You'll be mm-hmm. able to see them at the casino or the fair or a little club downtown somewhere because they've never lost that. That's what they do. You know, I think Rick Nielsen has said something to the effect that it's all I've ever done. I don't know. I don't. This is what I do. This is my career. Mm-hmm. I love doing it. He may be one of those guys that dies on stage. It, could, it <laughs> totally could be. I don't be. know. And you know, it, you said this before. I think you quoted someone who's saying this is, is when it comes to a tour, they don't get paid to play. They get paid to travel, right? The, being up on stage for two hours every other night, they do that for free. What they get paid for is getting on the bus and doing all the driving and stuff in between. But these, those guys are, that's what they love to do. And they, and they still do it. And JR, thank you. And this little love letter to cheap trick that we've, that we've created here. <laughs> Two things, three things, four. It'll probably be about five things before I'm done. A, if you've never seen cheap trick live, go see them. They will blow you away live still. B, check out, well, check out in color. I mean, if you can only listen to one album, check out in color. Uh, but Heaven Tonight's great. The first one's great. Dream Police is great. There are so many great albums. But check out those two unheard of albums, the Cheap Trick 97. I don't know if you can stream that one, but I know you can stream Rockford. Rockford, seriously, a, a, a crazy good album. JR, next time we get together, I'm going to ask you your thoughts on the Rockford album. And so, I'll be ready. Okay. Promise. But just one of the the – all-time great American bands. I've been, I've been trying to think about this, and I don't want to be crazy. But as I've thought about it, you know, when you think of great American bands, if we're making a list of the top five American bands, even if commercial success, Cheap Trick, maybe doesn't qualify, you know, who are the great American bands? You got Van Halen. You got the Eagles. You got, I don't know. I would have to put Cheap Trick in that top five list. I would have to. You know, I, you know, I would they even yeah. have a Christmas album. How, they, how, yes, how, they do. Any more American than that. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're just great. And they've had several albums since Rockford that are good albums. They just, they don't stop. They, there might be two or three years between an album, but I guarantee you they're touring most of the time in between those, those albums. And, and they're just a great American rock and roll band. So. My wish for you, and when I say you, I don't mean you, Jr. I mean for oh. people listening, is that that the if other people in the room exactly. If you're not already a Cheap Trick fan, I hope you'll go and check them out because they're awesome. They're awesome. I agree. They've got, they've got a huge catalog. One of my favorite bands. And uh, again, if I was locked in a room and only had one band that could, could go on stage uh, and entertain me, it would be this band. Yeah, that's great. And I agree. I completely agree. I do want to say this to JR as Thanksgiving is approaching. JR, I want to wish you very happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. I'm thankful for you for putting up with me on this podcast, putting up with me for, for how long have we known each other? 40 years, well, 35 yeah, years? Yeah, at, at least 40 years. Almost 40 oh, years. And, and and you know what? Uh, it's friends that we should be thankful for. Friends and Absolutely. family. Absolutely. And certainly don't forget that rock and roll fits in there somewhere, it, too. It but, does. But, uh, but in the grand I'm scheme of things, you're right. And, and we, of course, wish you and your families, all of you listening, a very happy, safe 
Thanksgiving and holiday season. We'll get together before Christmas, at least, JR. But uh, we want to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Yes, thank you. JR, as always, live long and prosper. And likewise, Jeremy, it's, a, it's always a good time. It is a good time. With you. Thank you so much. See you next time. Next time, buddy. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Oh, sweetie. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. <laughs> We're morons. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Keep your head on the ground and keep reaching for your feet. Wait, that's that's not right. Keep your feet on the ground and keep starting. No, keep your stuff. What the heck? Just thanks for listening.